iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Hello, hello, everybody. Hello. So, my name is Erwin. Thank you for coming. We have these regularly. Today, please welcome our guest of honor, which is Alessandro Camon. Am I uh, a little bad? And our uh, moderator, which is Peter De Bruges from Variety Magazine. We'll be watching a trailer first, and then we'll begin a discussion. You do not speak with anybody other than the next of kin. No friend, no neighbor, or mistress. We're racing Fox, CNN, what have you. We gotta be first. Avoid physical contact. In case you feel like offering a hug or something, don't. I'm not gonna be offering any hugs, sir. Amazing grace How sweet the sound are you Mrs. Peterson? How did it happen? He was killed in action yesterday. That's all the information we have now, ma'am. Okay, that, thanks. I, I know this can't be easy for you. Goodbye. But now I found I was blind. We walk into these people's lives. We don't know anything. Trust me, you don't want to know. They're human beings. They're just people. They're not like you. You gotta wake up. You're in the army. Yeah, I know. I gave blood to the army. I fought! I was great. If I can do anything. My heart fear. We were uh, about getting some pizza. Raise my fears. You're my buddy, aren't you? We've been to hell and back together. What happened to you guys? I wouldn't worry about it. We do all our own stunts. <laughs> I said there'd be days like these. I was blind, but now I see. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter DeBruge. I'm a film critic for Variety. Uh, our guest is Alessandro Camon, uh, co-writer of The Messenger, which was earlier this week uh, Oscar-nominated both for... Woody Harrelson's performance and for the screenplay. Yay! <laughs> that puts Mr. Camon in uh, in pretty special company. That's a category that uh, where the Coen brothers, Quentin Tarantino, the guys from Pixar, and the Hurt Locker are competing. And uh, I think it really speaks to the strength of this film that uh, the messenger, sort of the underdog maybe of the bunch, the, the film that uh, doesn't have the big studio or budget behind it, has really cracked into that uh, into that group. The uh, what's it like to be an Oscar nominee? Maybe just to sort of start off. Um, but good evening. Thank you for coming out on a rainy night. Um, it's obviously very, very gratifying, especially because, as you said, it is a small movie. It doesn't have a big uh, publicity machine behind it. Um, it was very much a labor of love from the beginning, and uh, you know the movie deals with uh, casualties of uh, the Iraq War and the people who have not to notify the families. So it's not an easy subject. And uh, uh, from the beginning, we, we, we knew it was going to be hard to get made. It was hard to uh, 
get, get distribution for. So, um, you know, to, to, to get this recognition for the movie and to be able to get more people curious about the movie is obviously what it's all about. It's interesting to have it sort of be, be there side by side with The Hurt Locker. I think that in a way those are two films that are sort of about Iraq, but they're dealing with it on different fronts. You have uh, one that's very much an action movie there uh, set in, in the Middle East, and then you have this one which takes, a, I think, a really unexpected look at the, uh, the actual sort of the effect of war. Uh, where did the sort of seed of the idea of telling... Uh, sort of the story of the Iraq war from the point of view of the casualty notification officers come from? Uh, it, just, it just comes from uh, um, observing uh, the war and the coverage of the war and thinking about it. And it comes from um, the idea that, that the war was actually, at the time we started, about four years ago, it was actually um, receiving quite, quite a lot of coverage uh, it was a very uh, photographed war, but there were aspects of the war that were actually fairly invisible. Um, up until uh, a couple of months ago, there was, as you know, a media ban on photographs of coffins being uh, repatriated from, from the war zone. Um, that was actually illegal to show. Funerals um, is another thing you don't really see, and you certainly don't ever see notifications, you don't, you don't see soldiers knocking on doors. Um, so it, it seemed that there was a big blind spot in the conversation and the idea was really to sort of shine a spotlight on this aspect, on the human cost of the war. I think one of the things that's especially interesting is it because it, we had another movie actually at Sundance at the same time last year with Kevin Bacon called uh, Taking Chance that was sort of also looking at that aspect but in sort of a narrower way. Here it's interesting that the main character that Ben Foster plays is himself wounded. So you have these sort of two levels. I mean, he's fortunate not to have been killed, but he's dealing with a lot of other issues as, as a veteran. Uh, where did that character sort of come from? Uh, well, you know, there are a lot of soldiers like that, you know, soldiers that come back and uh, have a hard time adjusting. Um, it, it is a very common situation, and uh, um, the character was, was meant to be a, a way to explore this, um, this condition of being sort of, uh, you know, somewhere in between um, war and peace, in between over there and over here, and between life and death, if you wish. The, uh, the the film is a collaboration between you and, and Oren Moverman, who ended up directing it. Can you sort of describe how the two of you came to uh, work together on it? Uh, yes. Uh, Oren and I actually met uh, on a different project, which I was trying to produce and which he uh, wrote the screenplay for. And uh, the project was based on a novel by Donald Goins called Daddy Cool. Um, beautiful screenplay, but uh, we, 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 I was never able to get it financed. Um, but in the process of trying to make that movie, we became friends and we started coming up with other ideas and eventually we, we uh, uh, decided to try and write this one. And, uh, um, you know, I'm from Italy, as you can probably tell from my accent. Oren um, is from Israel. He, he does not have an accent. But uh, we, we sort of both have a, a, an outsider perspective, and uh, um, it, it was actually easy to work together on this. 
The, uh, y- your background is actually, you've been working in the film industry for a number of years. You started out in Italy as a, as a film critic. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the, the long path that led you to screenwriting? I get the impression that from the very beginning it was something you wanted to do. But uh... um, Yes, uh, both film criticism and producing for me were always stepping stones. I, uh, uh, I always liked writing uh, creatively. I always liked the idea of writing screenplays. Uh, when I came to the United States, I spoke maybe you know, 300 words of English, so I knew that it wasn't going to happen you know, in the short run. And uh, producing was actually a, a great way to learn the film business and, uh, and really meet a lot of writers. And you know, the, uh, the favorite part of producing for me was always working on the script. With that sort of language handicap, how did you sort of break into the industry at all? Was it immediate? Did you have a connection, maybe? Uh, No, it was was not immediate. I went to uh, UCLA film school. Uh, Then I went back to Italy. I started working for Italian television. Then I started doing acquisitions. So I came over here to go to film markets and, you know, buy film rights. So it was a very gradual process. It sounds like a sort of you've paid your dues, I guess. But uh, but in the last oh, it was all fun. <laughs> the, in the last decade or so, you've been having you've been working basically as a producer on a number of films with Ed, Ed Pressman. Has he has that sort of been an extension of that film education? Yes, definitely. You know, Ed Pressman is is uh, uh, you know m- m- maybe the last of the great independent producers. You know, he made uh, amazing movies like Badlands and uh, uh, you know Wall Street, uh, which we just made a sequel to and uh, you know he was uh, it was my boss and he was my 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 mentor and uh, i uh, i learned a lot from him did did uh, did that open the door at all to that initial meeting with uh, Oren, or did that sort of happen s- separately well ed was involved in uh, um another film which we, we we produced called never die alone and uh, uh, never die alone was based on a novel by Donald Goins, same novelist uh, um, who wrote Daddy Cool, which is the project Oren and I were trying to produce. So yeah, it's all connected. It all fits together. Then the, uh, I, I guess uh, one thing that's also interesting in your collaboration with Oren here is that the two of you worked on this screenplay together, but the idea was originally that it would go out to sort of uh, to major directors. Uh, what was that? How did it end up sort of back in Oren's hands? And uh, well, we, uh, we had uh, three directors um, over the years who um, were interested in making it. First was Sidney Pollack, then it was uh, uh, Roger Michel, and then it was uh, Ben Affleck. And uh, they all contributed a lot to the script. So the script actually kept getting rewritten, but it kept getting better. It was actually a very, a very good process, and uh, you know, we, we were very, uh, very happy to even... You know, be getting notes from Sidney Pollack. Um, all three of them, for different reasons, uh, ended up not, be, not being the director. And uh, uh, eventually, the writer's strike was about to happen. And um, you know, all, all this sort of tentative financing that was uh, uh, available to the movie would have evaporated after the strike, so the producers thought that we, we, we just needed to get it going. Oren um, uh, uh, was always a, di- a director or wanted to be a director. He had other projects wanted to direct, so it was a, you know, the natural choice. And uh, um, you know, I, I was very happy to see that happen because 
I knew how much he, he loved the script. Uh, I knew that it was, gonna, it was going to be the movie that we wanted to make. Uh, that that all serves as, I guess, background to the actual film itself, but that's what people are really connecting with is the story about uh, wartime and seeing sort of uh, one of the things that's so interesting about uh, the film and this process of sort of learning about loved ones dying is whether or not you've been through that in the context of war. It's something we can all sort of identify with, you know, this sort of idea of grief. Uh, the uh, d Did you find that it that the concept took any sort of adjusting in terms of uh, making it more accessible or did was that sort of a natural um, you know connection a natural universal no I, thi I think that universal aspect is built into the idea um, notification casualty notifications um, are done a as a job in the army but uh, but there's something that we all have to do at some point in our life. You know, we, we all have to tell someone at some point our friend died or our, our relative died. And we, we, you know, we all have to get those news. So um, it is inherently universal. Was this something that you, that you and Oren researched really heavily? And if so, how did you sort of uh, familiarize yourself with that process and sort of the, the different reactions that, that real people have in that circumstance? Um, we researched it. I wouldn't say heavily because there's only so much research you can do. It's not like there is a vast uh, body of literature about it. It's not like you would be allowed to go along on a, notifi on a notification. Um, we would not have wanted to do that anyway. So research is really talking to people. And, and we did that. But beyond that, uh, it was really sort of imagining the situations. Um, the, the things that we learn from the soldiers we spoke to uh, are basically two. Uh, first of all, it is a, an impossible job to do. It is uh, incredibly stressful. You don't really receive much training for it. Uh, it's not something you sign up for. It's not something you want to do. When you enlist in the army, you are prepared to the idea that you may go to war. And uh, you know, soldiers sometimes want to go to war. They're certainly trained for it, but they never want to do this. They're not trained to do this. And when you do this job, you know that you're not really making a tangible difference. You're not going to make it better for the person who gets the news. So um, it, it's, it's very, very hard. It's very stressful. And uh, soldiers told us time and again, we'd, we'd rather be in combat than, than do this. And yet, it has to be done. It's a necessary job. Um, and the other thing we learned is uh, people do react uh, um, in ways you cannot expect. Uh, people very often are in denial and they cannot process news or they react aggressively. aggressively. Soldiers uh, um, have been assaulted. Um, there was a team that had their cars set on fire. So th these things happen. And uh, um, of course, that's, that gives you a lot to work with uh, um, dramatically. This process is actually relatively recent the, uh, I in terms of the, the way that the army deals with it. In the past, it used to be done by telegram, basically. Uh, that's right. I think that changed uh, at some point during the Vietnam War. And did you sort of also talk to people from that era, or were you really looking at uh, really recent history? We did. Um, w one interesting thing about this is that we actually um, went to the army for, um, for advice and for support. 
uh, that there is a, a process that you have to go through if you want their help, if you want to be able to uh, shoot on a base and uh, uh, you know, get soldiers and equipment. Uh, so we submitted the script and to our surprise, the army said, we, we want you to make this movie and we will help you. So we had a, a full-time military advisor on set who was the head of the casualty notification office in uh, 2004, I believe, and uh, he, he, uh, he's a Vietnam veteran. There's a really strong scene in the movie, I think, where we see Ben Foster, who's still sort of re reacting to being home and being wounded, uh, sort of getting his orders. And I think you've brought, a, brought that clip with us. Maybe if, if you've got the clip ready, we can take a look at that right now. Sir, Staff Sergeant Montgomery reports. At ease. How you getting on, Montgomery? It's going well, sir. I have an assignment for you, Montgomery. So happens that over the few months you have left on your enlistment, you will get your chance to render some of your most valuable service to your country. I am assigning you to a casualty notification team. Sir? Captain Stone will show you the ropes. He is the expert. But until he does, I just want to make myself very clear that although most of your time will remain occupied by your other duties, CNO is to be your absolute priority. This mission is not simply important. It is sacred. Sir, if I may. Go ahead. I've never received any grief counseling, let alone given it. I'm not a religious man, sir. We are just there for notification, not God, not heaven. Montgomery, this job is about character. Now, I have had soldiers go out on notification and break into a stutter. Men so nervous, they read from a script or they get the name wrong or the address. Too many tears. I need men of solid stature. Now, you are a model soldier. Hell, you're a goddamn hero. It's, uh, it's interesting that you had the support of the military, since that's something that they're, they're sort of uh, very careful about how they give it out. And yet, uh, I think it's sort of, it, they've gotten a bad reputation over the years because people like Transformers uh, end up allying with the military and using a lot of their equipment. And, you know, sometimes the movies look like big uh, recruitment vehicles. But this is a film that I think shows... Um, that you guys are clearly allowed to show uh, the, mil the to be critical of the military and to show these soldiers, especially in the sort of last stretch of the movie, um, you know, behaving out of line and things like that. Did you feel like there was any sort of compromise in uh, in working with uh, with the army directly? Um, no, there wasn't, and uh, I don't know that our intent was ever to be critical of the military. Um, we, we, we just really uh, decided early on we were not going to make a, a political movie in the conventional sense. We were not interested in, in uh, stating our position on a specific wall. We were just interested in uh, exploring human situations and exploring emotions and exploring the human cost of war. And uh, um, that's what the army responded to. You know, w when, you, when you think about the army today, it is an all-volunteer organization. Um, 
is a couple of million people in the military, and uh, a lot of them come from a certain socioeconomic background. A lot of them are married to each other. So it's, it's relatively easy for the rest of us to um, keep that out of sight. And uh, well, all, all we wanted to do with the movie was to sort of reposition the spotlight and make people pay attention. And that's what the army wanted us to do. Did either you or Oren have military service in your sort of respective backgrounds in Italy or in Israel? I, I uh, did not. Oren did serve uh, in um, the Israeli army um, for four years, I believe. The, uh, the, one of the big advantages, I guess, of actually having that sort of military support then is having an advisor, having uh, the... Uh, did that lead to revelations that ended up feeding into the film or the screenplay, or...? Not, not necessarily major revelations, uh, but uh, just, just uh, attention to details. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard to point at, you know, specific things that would seem particularly meaningful, but they have a cumulative effect. You know, when the actors know that they, they are saying the right words, they're wearing the right uniform, uh, they're, they're behaving the right way, they, they just become those characters. The, uh, the concept is sort of there from the beginning of, of looking at at war through the sort of uh, the bad news, I guess, at home. But uh, the uh, where does the actual sort of storyline come from? Because uh, it it sort of goes and it, it develops a very unusual relationship with a with a widow who doesn't react the way you'd expect, you know, a grieving widow to react. And uh, and Ben Foster's character sort of develops. Uh, a potentially inappropriate relationship with her. Uh, was that something that was sort of there from the very beginning, or did that sort of organically grow well, in the process? Uh, it's, it organically grew. It's a character-driven film. And, and so when you think of this job and you think of this world from the inside of the character, you, you will find the, these two major um, areas to, to, to explore. One is, what if you, you want to reach out and, uh, and, and you want to know the people that you're notifying? Um, because the whole thing about the army is that the, they want the person in the casualty notification team to walk in, deliver the news, walk away, and that's it, right? Then they have a separate team, um, the casualty assistance officers, who will actually help the families for weeks and months afterwards, uh, you know, to make funeral arrangements, to uh, you know, collect their benefits, all this stuff. So, this second team gets to spend time with them and befriend them and make sure that they are okay as much as they can. Um, the notifiers are just there to break hearts, and and you know that's another aspect of of what makes the job impossible you know you 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 want to reach out you know you you want to say you want to offer comfort um but i think the army has you know as a wisdom in separating these two jobs and sort of allowing the families to hate the messenger if you wish mm -hmm. of course it's tough on the messenger so um you know that that's a dilemma that is sort of built into the story you know one character at some point in the film um, want, wants to know 
the person wants to know the you know the the, the widow, and uh, it, it develops into a kind of a very fragile and impossible love story. And the other element is uh, you know the friendship between the two guys. It, 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 it's uh, um, it's almost inevitable that if you do this um, a number of times with someone, uh, y y you're forced into an incredibly dramatic and incredibly intimate relationship and uh, you you will either hate each other or you will be friends or both as happens in the movie well and it's interesting it, it raises another point in terms of sort of the way that someone put in that impossible position of having to deliver this kind of news over and over can either sort of uh, just tune it out and somehow uh, be be almost sort of jaded to it, uh, the way that Woody Harrelson's character really is sort of uh, depersonalized. And then you've got Ben Foster, who seems to be damaged goods in this early scene. I mean, he's, you know, come back from, uh, and from, you know, clips we saw in the trailer, uh, and yet, uh, for whatever reason, he has this capacity to really empathize with these people, maybe because he's new to it or something, but somehow uh, the two of them are sort of like rubbing off on one another, which is ultimately sort of the relationship I think the film focuses on, the way those two characters in that last sort of uh, act are, are um, reconciling their, you know, their different worldviews almost on this. Uh, I don't know where the question is exactly. I think that's <laughs> very well put. I don't know yeah. that I can add anything to that. But there's another facet, I think, too, that's, uh, that's really sort of... Uh, it's interesting how much it's about the psychology of the person having to deliver the news as it is about these heartbreaking scenes of, of uh, receiving it. The, uh, now, yes, yeah, it's, it's very much about the soldiers. You're totally right. In terms of sort of, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that a lot of your research was sort of focused on, you know, the military. And did, did you also speak to people who uh, were on the receiving end? Uh, in some ways, that puts you as a researcher in, in as difficult a position as, as these characters. No, we, we, we didn't really do that because um, you, you, you can actually read uh, quite a bit about that side of the door. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, la the last thing that we wanted to do is ask somebody, how does it feel? That's really where creativity and, and all the sort of tools of a writer come in, too, is sort of imagining those different sort of reactions, I guess, that humans would have. Uh, yeah, I mean, th th that was um, the job of it. You know, we, um, we, we, we try to... We try to imagine those lives um, and of course uh, the, the, they, are, they are very much reality based, they are based on talking and talking to people, and reading about people um, but yeah, we, we try to imagine even the backstories of the people you don't see in the film, you know, the, the, the people who are dead, in our mind we, we knew them, you know, we, we knew who they were and um, how they grew up and how they died and uh, and so the movie kind of became more real because of that. Uh, we're going to open it up to questions from you guys in just a minute. So if, if you, you know, want to, to ask Alessandro something, be thinking, and I'll call on you in a moment. But uh, I'm curious, sort of generally, uh, there, there are people who say that, uh, that to be able to sort of process and deal with a war, there needs to be a certain amount of distance from it, just time-wise, or, or to let everything sort of digest. Did you... Uh, did you feel that at all as you were working on this? Did you um, feel like there's anything premature that like that that needs more time or that? Uh no, I mean, I think uh, I think it's important to talk about the war, but 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 you're right. There is a difference between making a movie 
five years after the war is over, as uh, some of the great uh, movies uh, about the Vietnam War were, um, and making a movie when you are in the middle of it and the, the ground keeps shifting under your feet. So we, we, we knew we, did, we didn't have that removed perspective, we didn't have uh, um, you know, the, the, the benefit of distance, and, uh, and we embraced that. We, we tried to be sort of in the thick of it and to tell a, a very personal type of story. It also seems like this war is different in the sense of just how visible it is and how much of it... I mean, you mentioned earlier how, in some ways, uh, what's interesting about this is it's sort of shining a light on the one thing that we haven't been allowed to see as um, as people who consume the news and whatever, which is these sort of views of casualties or acknowledgement that, yes, people do die in war. Uh, you're, you're totally right. It, it is, uh, it's, it's a very new kind of war in that respect. It is not, not just uh, you know, a global war and uh, a, a, an asymmetrical war. It's also very much a, a visual war. Um, it's very much about perception. And you know, if you read now uh, you know, recent military doctrine, um, they, they will say that the perception of a military operation is at least as important as the material results of the operation. So um, words and images matter very much in this war. It's interesting, just having been to Sundance just a week ago, there, there's this you know, sort of doc documentary on Pat Tillman there now, which is looking at that whole you know, really sort of situation. I'm really that. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, do you guys have questions that you'd like to ask uh, Alessandro, sir? I'll just repeat them for the benefit of the microphones. The question was, uh, you've been producing for a number of years, and uh, this is really your first English-language screenplay. Was it something specific about the story that made you want to write? or? Uh? Well, I must confess, I did, I did write a couple of screenplays before this, which did not get made. <laughs> so there is that. Uh, but yeah, this is something I, uh, I, I very much wanted to write. I was, I was very passionate about it. Um, I, I, I might have produced it as well, but it, it just happened that when I talked to Oren um, about the idea for the first time, and, uh, and he thought it was a good idea, um, he, you know, he encouraged me to write it with him, so it, it, it just kind of happened that way. It's interesting. You're, you're being pretty modest about the producing credits, though. I mean, you've worked on a number of really interesting and important projects, and now, by virtue of that sort of relationship with Ed Pressman and some of those filmmakers, like... Uh, We've seen a sort of a bad lieutenant c continuation. We've seen now a Wall Street sequel. How involved are you actually, sort of, still with those projects? Uh, well, I, I'm involved uh, mainly as far as the script is concerned, which is always what, what I enjoy about producing. So I, I've been mainly involved with, with the development of the script, and uh, um, you know, I, I, I think. Producing for me was mainly uh, a, a means to an end, and uh, I, I will keep doing it on a project by project basis. You know, if there's something that, that I'm passionate about, I, uh, I I will try to produce it. But uh, uh, it, it's not. Uh, I don't particularly enjoy the business of it. So um, I'm I'm very happy spending most of my time writing. You know, it's 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 
it's also a better lifestyle if you have uh, small children and you don't have to travel you know you can just be in your head so when you say a means to an end you mean a means to screenwriting not necessarily directing or other sort of ambitions not yet realized um, yeah, that's right. Directing is a whole other thing, which I'm, I'm just beginning to think about. <laughs> yes, sir. Hi. Um, I, I'm very interested in, but in one aspect, Alessandro, the um, the absence in the movie, and we've just seen the scene that it's probably the only one where there is a, a presence of the authority, the hierarchy. One of the things that I found extraordinary in this film, from the point of view also of a genre, was the complete absence of that struggle between the men at the bottom and the men in, in charge. That it's a basic constant of all war movies. And I wondered if you were inspired by uh, some other film genre to transfer this human characteristic, this absence of the drama of the, of the hierarchy struggle or it was just coming out of the story I think it was just coming out of the story it's not something we, we gave a lot of thought about um, I, I don't have a, a, a theory to offer on this other than um, if you make a, a larger type of war movie you will probably organically be dealing with the machine of war and uh, the machine of authority but we were making a movie that has a, a, a narrower focus on, on um, uh, individual stories. And, uh, you know, it's universal because of that, but uh, um, it, it doesn't deal so much with, with the machine of it. You know, it's interesting sort of on that front is the, uh, the fact that you, were, you had military involvement. I mean, one thing, one reason that there is an office for each of the four branches that's involved with Hollywood is really trying to sort of further their representations. And they, it's not, it's interesting. It, it looks on the surface as if it's a propagandistic effort, but really what they're trying to do, I think, is correct certain cliches and certain shortcuts that exist. I, I did a story when Transformers came out last year for Variety that, that to me, I kind of went in with, you know, an agenda, you know, and I came out with this sort of idea that, I mean, they said, like, shows like 24 are a perfect example where, for the sake of drama, it helps to sort of have a, a one man against all these authority figures who are sort of in collusion and corrupt and don't know anything, and it's like, uh, that's just not the way that organization works. I mean, that, that organization works in a way where you have to sort of disown identity to a certain extent and, and sort of be part of that. And it, what, what the military really wants to do is just educate the public. I mean, obviously, if they recruit and if they win support and if it's a positive portrayal, so much the better. But th there are some, some really interesting facets of this film that are not in any way, I think, you know, sort of like a, a, a puff piece or anything. It's, this is a great example of something where I think they just want to sort of set the record straight a little bit, and that's a character that probably they were really proud to see, I bet. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we show soldiers who are very um, flawed human beings in this film. We don't show soldiers as superheroes. Uh, it's, it's not about, uh, um, you know, uh, the stoic stiff upper lip super warrior these are real soldiers and uh, um, they, they drink and they get depressed and they have problems they are lonely, they are scared um, so it, it, it's, an, it's an unvarnished portrait of the military but uh, I have to say um, you know, to their credit the army never ever told us 
please don't 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 go there you know um, try to embellish that um, they they um, they were really very open-minded and respectful in that in, in, in the sense um, I think the only thing that would have made him nervous is if uh, we had had uh, the Ben Foster and Samantha Morton characters um, sleep together that probably would have made him nervous but we didn't want to do that anyway yes sir in the front row how many drafts did you have to go through before initial idea to shooting script? About a dozen. A dozen? How long did that take? About three years. Okay. Would you go back and talk about, especially the Sidney Pollock part, because he's known as sort of like a really rigorous um, analyzer of screenplays. I mean, he and uh, his producing partner, Anthony Minghella, both of whom are now dead, uh, would sort of like put screenplays to the test almost. Uh, did you feel like they were sort of doing that with uh, The Messenger? Um, well, uh, Sidney was, was just wonderful. He, um, uh, you know, he knows so much, he knew so much about films, and, uh, and it, it just had a big heart. And uh, he, he really just wanted to help us make the best movie whether or not he um, would end up directing it. He wanted, he wanted to direct, uh, um, he wanted to possibly direct a version of this film which would have been much more about the love story. Um, I think one of the first things he told us was, you know, I, I, I make impossible love stories. Uh, that, that's what I'm good at. That's what I'm interested in. So we... we we really worked on that aspect of the film. We, we worked on making a big love story out of it. And, um, and eventually we felt uh, that the film wanted to be something else. And uh, Sidney agreed with us. And uh, you know, we, we, we parted ways, but very amicably. And he remained a strong supporter of the film. So it, it was just a great uh, learning experience. And I do believe the script is better for it. On the side, uh, we'll let the mic get over to you. Uh, yes, as you mentioned that the script grows organically as the film evolves. I watched the trailer twice yesterday, the second time really after the emotional impact of the trailer that I saw, uh, focusing on the colors that I saw in the movie, where there was, of course, the green uniforms of the military and most of the other colors, like their assembles and their things on their heads and the, the, even the dressing was mainly uh, shades of blue. And uh, I was just curious, at the end also of the trailer, you see a lot of trees coming in, like a, a, a fresh uh, feeling of growth or a feeling of, of optimism, actually, uh, that I sense in it. Uh, how does that evolve? Is that something that comes out of the script? Or is it something that you feed back in? Or do you have any influence on how, what the, uh, what the design of the... the, the uh, does it, how do you feel that? Well, that, that really comes down to, uh, to, to Warren, my co-writer and director. Uh, the idea was always to make a realistic movie, a naturalistic movie, and uh, he carried that um, over to the direction and, uh, um, you know, uh, the whole visual strategy, the cinematography. Bobby Bukowski, the cinematographer, did a great job with it. The movie is shot in uh, natural light. And, uh, um, y you know, we, we, we just really wanted it to be raw and real and vibrant. And, uh, and, and, and give you a sense of uh, unexpected reality. I think uh, um, Oren did a very, I think, brilliant thing 
um, in the way he shot, for instance, all the notification scenes, which is uh, he didn't introduce uh, Ben Foster and Woody Harrison to most of the actors who would play uh, family members being notified. And uh, he, never, he never let them walk inside those apartments or those houses until they had to shoot the scene. So every time they enter that door, they, they don't know what the people are going to look like. They, they don't know the space that they're walking on, that they're walking in, there are no marks on the floor. So it, the, the, the whole idea was just really keep it here, keep, keep it real. Are, are those scenes going by the script or is there some level of improv- improvisation or a surprise involved? They, uh, they, they pretty much follow the script as far as um, the dialogue goes, um, but, but they, are, they are shot in such a way uh, that, that, that it allows the actors to move around very freely. The, uh, yes, ma'am. First of all, I want to thank you for making that movie because um, I remember being a kid in the sick, you know, and being a kid when um, my brother was up for the, you know, they had the numbers, a draft many years ago, and how terrified everyone in our community and around the nation, everyone was so terrified that their son was going to be chosen, and now there's no draft, and the, a movie like this really brings the heart up and, and really allows us to connect on a personal level with this tragedy, you know, these multiple tragedies, so thank you. Um, I want to ask you. you. Oh, thank you. Um, do you have a passion project you would like to um, have realized, you know, bring to the screen, or if not, is there some kind of a project that you would just like to somehow um, find, or some just some desire that has been unmet that you'd like to um, make um, real? Y- y- the, the, there's more than one. Um, there is a script I've been working on for a few years about the, the life of St. Francis. That's one of them. Are you, are you to a point now where you would write by yourself or would you continue to collaborate with Oren or other people if you were to work on other, other screenplays? We're definitely going to do something else together and uh, we, 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 we talked about a few things but we haven't um, decided on one yet and in the meantime... Uh, we're, we're both busy on a number of things. One thing that her comment made me think too is, when you make a film like this, it must be really incredible. Just sort of the, because it's so personal and because it touches on something that's you know runs really deep with a lot of people. All the reactions you must get. I mean, did you foresee any of that? And is there anything that really stands out from the sort of, uh, I guess, the year that you've had? You know, the film went. Sundance and then Berlin where you won a screenwriting prize and it's sort of you know just opened here in, in the fall uh, among those reactions have there been uh, really sort of specific touching uh, anecdotes that you'd share uh, there's, there's been many um, the first time we screened the film for a military audience which was uh, maybe nine months ago um, we had a screening at a film festival in Sarasota uh, with, with about 400 men and women from the military. Uh, that, that was a big one for us. You know, we, we, we really wanted them to like the film. And uh, 
it was it was very gratifying because the, the, the movie was hard for them. It was hard for them to take, and that actually there were a lot of tears, um, there were a lot of laughs because you know I, I, I like to, to remind people that the movie is also quite funny. Um, and then after the screening, we, we talked to a lot of soldiers, and uh, they, 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 they were happy, they were grateful that the movie was made. That, that, that meant everything. I think we had one time for one last question. Ma'am in the back row. Well, congratulations, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. But I, I was wondering what your budget was, how you got it funded, and also the influence that you had on the final product. Um, well, the, the, the budget was, I, I don't know, I want to say uh, in the uh, $8 million range, but I'm, I'm not even sure. And uh, uh, the financing was put together from different pieces. You know, I didn't produce the movie. I, I, uh, um, I, I actually tried to not get involved in that aspect. Um, so my, my influence is really just limited to the script, and uh, luckily the film is the script. It is the movie we wanted to make. All right. Uh, thank you, uh, Alessandro, for speaking with us here thank this you. evening. Good luck at uh, the Academy Awards. Thank you.